Hello everyone. In this world, there are winners, but there are losers, and we are the judge. And I, I am Uncle Batters Judge. Okay, so coming to my very new episode of Ankle Batters Judge. This is the third episode of Ankle Batters Judge. It's been a while with me, Sadre Bahar, and I hope you guys were doing great because it's been a while I haven't uploaded any podcast yet, right? So sit down, chill on, sit a glass of coffee because I'm about to down into one topics which I think it's probably perspective enough to discuss because it's really really close. Towards the people outside there and towards us, especially Z millennials, and it does really happen now. Media framing, overexposed of unnecessary stuff towards televisions, has much gives us, and especially media, an obscurity, and perhaps leading to the questions because currently what I've seen on the TV and what you saw on the TV might not necessarily need to be discussed and need to be shown. Towards the audiences. Dan apa yang TV dan televisi swasta saat ini pertontonkan di media televisi Indonesia justru menimbulkan pertanyaan: Is media coming to entertain or educating? Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, this episode might be inspired by a song from 21 Pilots, which entitled "We Don't Believe What's On TV." And what I'm like to highlight on this episode is how far the media and also the televisions are driving us and driving our public opinion into such negativity. And if it does, is there any a person or institutions who stand as A regulator to tackle all of this problem. Nah, setelah itu, gue juga pengen membahas dan ada analisis yang gue cari dari googling dan buku mengenai beberapa teori kontemporer yang mungkin bisa menjelaskan dan memprediksi sudah sampai tahapan mana kita berada dalam hyperrealistic stage atau post-truth era. But beforehand, I'd like to putting up few questions to you and. Yeah, just interpret it by yourself. Have you ever heard about this? Or have you ever watched this or seen this on the televisions? Okay, right side, right side. You know it, I know it, and we all might never say that we do not know it, right? <laughs> But here's the deal: we all know that these kind of circumstances are immoral and leading to the demoralizations because what they have been shown out to our televisions is unconsciously what driven us to do so than 
Influence-influence kayak gini yang datang dari TV itu sebetulnya yang sangat dekat dengan kehidupan kita sehari-hari gitu. Dan kalau gue berpikir secara nggak langsung pemikiran kita atau orang tua kita mungkin kayak baper nonton sinetron itu. Dan kebawa emosi sama hal kayak gitu. Dan regarding that, this melodrama or talk shows are exists even on the crucial hours. Dimana yang tadi program yang gue sebutin pertama lahir mungkin pas zaman-zaman kita kayak pan. Beraktivitas di pagi hari. And of course you are going to campus. You are going to schools. And or even slowly having a breakfast. Dan lo nonton acara-acara yang kayak gitu. Setelah itu, yang satu lagi. Yeah. The rest hour. Jam 8, jam 10. Dimana orang tua lo dan adik-adik lo mungkin lagi di rumah. Dan nonton acara yang kayak gitu. Then I wonder how to spot. These things on and putting them into the basket and find out the puzzles, even to the law jurisdiction itself. Jadi, udah ada beberapa dasar hukum yang diregulasi under the law of jurisdictions mengenai one of the subsidiary bodies which controlling and tackling all of the televisions programmed, especially the private televisions channel, and stand as a watchdog adalah Komisi Penyiaran Indonesia atau KPI. Nah, secara regulasi, ini udah diatur dalam Undang-Undang Republik Indonesia nomor 32 tahun 2002 tentang penyiaran. Dan, in particular, if we see directly, ini ada banyak banget yang menimbang bahwa kemerdekaan menampilkan pendapat dan memperoleh informasi melalui penyiaran sebagai perwujudan hak asasi manusia. Of course, human rights is checklist dalam kehidupan bermasyarakat, berbangsa, dan bernegara. Dan dilaksanakan secara bertanggung jawab. selaras dan seimbang antara kebebasan dan kesetaraan menggunakan hak berdasarkan our morals, our value Pancasila dan Undang-Undang Dasar Negara Republik Indonesia tahun 1945. Dan secara lebih spesifik, sebetulnya di bab satu ketentuan umum, pasal 1 ayat 13, dan teman-teman juga bisa baca, ada yang mengatur mengenai Komisi Penyiaran Indonesia. So, uh, this kind of subsidiary bodies is an institution's State institutions which independently stand Yang adanya di pusat dan di daerah Yang tugas dan memenangan diatur dalam undang-undang Dan secara pragmatik Apa sih yang mereka lakukan? Ya, first, they standardized On how towards the television programs are going on Dan mereka pun mengontrol bahwa isi siaran ini wajib mengandung informasi, pendidikan, hiburan, dan manfaat Jadi What I previously said that entertaining and educating, well, ideally have to balance. Tapi faktanya, mungkin backlash sama nilai-nilai yang ada. Dan sebetulnya mereka juga menulis bahwa isi siaran dilarang, yang pertama, bersifat fitnah, menghasut, menesatkan, dan atau bohong. Afterwards, menonjolkan unsur kekerasan, violence, perjudian, penyalahgunaan narkotika, dan obat terlarang. C. Mempertentangkan suku, agama, ras, dan antar golongan. Dan yang terakhir, memperolokan, merendahkan, melecehkan, dan atau mengabaikan nilai-nilai agama, martabat manusia, dan merusak hubungan internasional. So, I would like to invite you to measure our critical mindset and common sense. Kira-kira dari undang-undang dan regulasi yang sudah diatur oleh our law jurisdictions, udah sampai batasan mana dan poin-poin mana aja yang sudah dilanggar? Well... Berapa-berapa? 60%, 70%, ya... 
Whoa, <laughs> I've heard your interpretation say to 100%. Yeah, I can't say no to that because tragically, I think so that currently there are few people who know and aware that they should be controlling their remote TV and they're the one who are responsible on watch and see which program are compatible enough to them and based on their age. Tapi masalahnya kan gak semua orang ya kayak bisa mengontrol dan mungkin gak semua orang tua ada dan membimbing anak-anaknya yang masih lebih muda dalam menonton televisi. So, who are getting mistaken now? The public opinion? The audience? Atau pemirsa kita yang di rumah? Or, we have to blame the television itself and its televisi channel. And technically, when we're talking about the televisions and those kind of things, pasti yang pertama ada dalam pemikiran pemilik televisi adalah rating. Of course, they are basically the profit seekers, so they will find any programs as much as possibly related to the audience, and later on, they can't hire the rating, right? Dan mereka dengan rating dapat uang. Di sisi lain, secara teknis KPI pun telah bilang. Salah satu artikel yang gue baca di website resmi KPI.co.id dan di sini mekanisme yang mereka lakukan adalah using an annual meeting or annual controlling dan dari situ mereka bakal receive the reports itself. Siapa-siapa aja yang terlibat. Jadi survei ini dilakukan sama para ahli media yang berasal dari 12 perguruan tinggi di Indonesia. So I do not know in particular who are date and which institutions are involved here tapi yang jelas dari survei ini mereka bekerja sama dengan para ahli buat menetapkan batas-batas atau indeks maksimal yang harus dicapai oleh televisi dan itu berkaitan dengan kualitas tayangan not only rating tapi di sini boom bukan cuma rating however rating is still be considered right dan itu tetap dipertimbangkan jadi In my pragmatic thoughts, I ask the questions, who's independent now? Tapi secara mekanistis, gue nemu satu artikel atau satu video yang membahas mengenai bagaimana KPI sebetulnya beholding all of these programs. Dan mereka sebetulnya mengeluarkan surat edaran. Surat edaran ini mungkin it really depends on particular issues which reported by the audiences. Jadi selama ini kan mekanismenya pasti tag and give atau feedback system based. Gimana sebetulnya pertama yang perlu kita lakukan adalah kita sebagai penonton report hal tersebut melalui website resmi KPI. Nah, setelah itu kalau misalnya di follow up, di follow up, dan di follow up terus dan makin banyak laporan tersebut, mungkin KPI akan melihat dan membuat surat edaran tersebut dan eventually show it to the particular private channels or programs which jeopardized the previous the operation standard KPI melihat ini sebagai dua sisi yang satu adalah seni pertunjukan ya. seni pertunjukan kan kita tahu secara tradisional kan ada wayang orang yang pemainnya Padahal ada ludruk, ada reok penorobos ya, penorobo. dan penorobos oleh laki-laki ya. yang berperan sebagai perempuan kemudian ada didik-didik tawo, ada tesi, ada jahidah di tayangan sebelah ya. tayangan itu ya. uh, ada hal semacam itu yang kedua adalah sebagai gaya hidup lifestyle kan gitu. Nah, walaupun dua-dua ini bisa saling berhubungan, yang satu 
kesenian atau produk kesenian bisa juga menjadikan itu gaya hidup, ya kan? Tapi kalau yang dibatasi, dilarang tampil adalah sejauh itu memang mempromosikan ini sebagai lifestyle. Atau mau atau mau buat uh, penonton atau anak-anak akhirnya mengikuti hal tersebut. Itu. Nah itu mencontoh. mengilhami, mencontoh atau menginspirasi. Nah Ar- sebetulnya uh, ya itu abu-abu berarti ya. Bukan apa bu, pinter-pinter inilah uh, kru produksi uh, televisi ya. gitu. Hah? Agak absurd juga. Uh, enggak, tapi tegas, tapi masih bisa bermain dalam arti. Artinya bisa kepal karet apa? So what I'd like to highlight based on the previous interview with the card on salah satu pertelevisian swasta yang mungkin kalian juga pernah nonton. Sebetulnya stand dari subsidiary badis KPU ini sebagai watchdog need to be questioned because there will no certain law jurisdictions or there will no probably the very mechanism who boldly regulates every single things and every single words have to throw up from someone's perspective and especially the artist itself right atau program-program televisi yang ada dan yang gue bisa tarik dari sini adalah sebetulnya surat edaran itu sifatnya no longer than pasal karet lah ya dan masih abu-abu so In one side, they firmly regulating it based on the paper and large repetitions. But in the other hand, especially in implementations, I think that Komisi Penyiaran Indonesia stint might be delicate dan lentur. Boom. I eventually and I probably find one theory which, that probably could explain this and the firm weight and the impartial perspectives. So once I ever put an political communications major in my international relations fields dan setelah itu di dalam mata kuliah komunikasi politik sempat disinggung one theory and one side which is proposed by political science and mass communication theory by German political scientists uh, namanya itu adalah Elizabeth Noel Newman which apparently this theory try to explain and stipulates that individuals have a fear of isolations, ketakutan. Dan akhirnya itu resulting the idea that a social group or the society in general, uh, they might consequently isolate, neglect, or excluding members to the members' opinions. So what we talking about and what we try to highlight towards this theory is the public opinion in how the minority concerns able to reshaping the public opinion majority dan akhirnya minority opinion yang sebetulnya inferior it doesn't make any sense atau gak substantif dan irrelatable dengan kehidupan kita sehari-hari itu dibentuk, dikreat dan membentuk spiral yang membesar, membesar dan membesar and bigger by the time as it renewed into one new public opinion so they probably hold Technically, this the spiral of silence theory explained this televisions. But one thing I'd like to appreciate towards the theory is because the theory is timeless. It was firstly released on 1974, but today I can't say that I can relate to that so much. Apalagi dari rating-rating televisi yang sekarang tertinggi adalah acara-acara yang nggak penting.
Okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, I know that you got any confusions, right? Because in the middle stage of the discussions, we finally find a gray area when you can differentiate between which one is right and which one is wrong. Dan, kalau gue bisa mengelaborasi teori ini lebih lanjut, itu ada hubungannya dan ada kaitannya dengan diachronic systems and diachronic perspectives of how how the pop culture, the current culture that we have been used and observed by the time, has reframed new perspective and new framework towards the people dan peradaban manusia. So, generalize a theory, tapi ini bukan teori konspirasi atau apa, karena ini teori yang udah exact dan pasti, which ever discussing about the terms that explain an inability of consciousness between humans dan kita to distinguish reality from simulations of reality, especially in, you know, technologically advanced postmodern societies, And this is seen as a condition in which what we see that what is real and what is fiction is because now they are seamlessly blended together so that there is no clear distinctions between where one ends and the other begins. Nah, dari salah satu buku yang pernah gue baca mengenai hyperreality ini, ini juga disebut sebagai post-truth era atau era pasca setelah kebenaran. So, jadi teman-teman, signifikansi teori ini sebetulnya pernah dijelaskan oleh salah satu philosophical treatise, yaitu Jean Baudrillard. Dia juga salah satu pakar komunikasi politik. Dan di tahun 1981, he particularly explained the significations and symbolism of culture and media where he became the one who involved in constructing and understanding of shared existence. So the theory of simulacra and simulations has identified three types of simulacra and they identify each with a historical period. Dan secara garis teoris dibagi menjadi tiga. Nah, tahapan pertama ini terkait dengan periode pramodern. Kalau lo pernah baca sejarah atau ya pasti lo tahu lah kayak namanya masa-masa sebelum revolusi industri. Kayak masa renaissance atau masa-masa mungkin reformasi gereja. Nah, di tahap itu sebetulnya Uh, there lies a reality and the circumstances di mana representasi antara realita dan tempat buatan yang ada itu sebetulnya nyata dan di sini salinan dibuat sama manusia sama-sama rata karena belum ada teknologi yang mumpuni saat itu. Nah, tahapan kedua ini terkait dengan revolusi industri. So yeah, the circumstances happen where the representations is clearly an artificial task maker for the real items. Di mana-mana udah terjadi the rapid productions itself. Ada James Watt yang menciptakan mesin uap. Ada Alexander Graham Bell yang menciptakan telepon. Nah, di tahapan ini ada tiga tahapan yang menurut Belliard itu akan diprediksi terjadi selama kurang lebih satu abad ke depan. Di tahapan kedua ini, prototype atau barang-barang artificialnya produksi mampu menutupi realitas atau fakta di kehidupan sana. Dan tahapan kedua ini sebetulnya lebih ke gray zone, whereas the productions of the subsidiary staffs are rapidly produced and utilized for artificial technology. Kalau misalnya bisa ngasih contoh, mungkin era post-1990 atau pasca World War One, di mana the using of internet does exist, and The ponies belt, the last free prominent brand such like Nokia, Motorola, which started to replace how the people are interact each other 
with new alternatives. Right, short message atau SMS. Nah, tahapan ketiga ini, di mana prototype mulai menutupi fakta yang sebenarnya terjadi atau status quo, seolah-olah tidak ada realitas. So, for example, we compare it with the citra politik. Dan seolah-olah citra ini menutupi orang atau person yang ada ini dengan citra politik yang dia punya, but in fact, there was no eventually the realities. And the backlash term between the image that have been crafted before to the persona that they have been carry in real life. Nah, mulai berasa gak sih kayak the use of social media and the rapid use of Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, and line itself has been drastically changed the way our mind thinking. So, yeah, technically we think as if we have been driven by two different life. Yang pertama adalah Dunia maya, virtual affections or virtual projections, dan dunia nyata, which interpolating the way we look and the way we talk in the social media. However, I have no idea in which stage we've been thinking on, because in this first stage, there is also almost no differences at all between the prototype yang dibuat oleh manusia secara artificial dengan realitas yang ada, dan itu sama sekali tidak ada kaitannya sama sekali. Jadi mungkin produk-produk yang kita pakai atau yang kita konsumsi seperti sosial media atau televisi yang notabene kita pakai sehari-hari itu mulai menutupi dan menutupi hingga menghabiskan dan melahap realitas yang kita dapatkan secara telanjang. Well, yeah, fellas, it got matters up. I don't know what to say because I get speechless towards the visionary theory. Karena teori ini dibangun udah lebih dari 35 tahun yang lalu which is 1991, and we can relate to that so much until today. And I might say that we have been seen by these circumstances that have been previously told by Balliard towards four different ways. Well, I think the first is the contemporary media, including televisions, film, print, and the internet, which I think are responsible for blurring the line between the products that are needed in order to live a life, and products for which need is created by commercial images. Ada kan kayak, lo pernah dengar promosi dimanapun lah ya, yang kayak produk-produk tersebut, sebetulnya faktanya nggak ada. Tapi pas lo branding di commercial brand, itu kayaknya seolah-olah bagus banget kan. Dan so the person does. I think the person that try to build their own image as if they were right, as if they were fine, as if they were rich, on the social media, but in real life, well, they were us, they live plainly, they live straight to the simplicity. Now, the second one, I think, is the exchange value. Yeah, the exchange value is one thing that predominantly working and give any contributions towards the hyper-realistic. I think because they decide in which the value of goods is based on money, and literally the dominated flat currency rather than usefulness and moreover i think usefulness comes to be quantified and divided in monetary terms in order to you know assist the exchange itself nah yang ketiga gue rasa multinational capitalism bah, untuk, untuk teman-teman gue atau mungkin anak-anak political science mungkin ngerti apa the term of capitalism is, so the economic person does. 
Jadi kan kapitalisme ini sebetulnya datang dari investments. Nah, investment ini sebagai contoh Indonesia. The government of Indonesia had related to the government of Austria, for example. They made the joint of agreement. Dan letter of agreement itu dibuat untuk investment di pemerintahan daerah. Nah, the exchange of value, the interconnectedness between them through the technology is sooner or later will sink them down into the generalizations. Dan mindset mereka pun akan sama gitu loh. Because the way they interact, they use one thing. Apa itu? Bahasa dan ideologi. So, I think this language is plays an important role after all because language can increasingly becomes caught up in the production of power relations between social groups and especially when powerful groups institute themselves at least partly in monetary system. Sekarang, gue balikin lagi ke lo. Kira-kira kita di tahapan yang mana dan di behavior yang mana? Very vital probably explored the status quo that we have been faced before. Right now, we have been on the status quo where the people are doing a lack of interactions dimana kita semua serba nunduk, main gadget, atau meniru atau mengimitasi apa yang orang-orang lakukan di televisi. All of the over the rights. Okay guys, ladies and gentlemen, we're finally coming to the conclusions of this podcast and all I can say is that we're having a fruitful discussions, right? About how to make a difference between what you have faced in the real life and what you have faced in the artificial life where the television, where the smartphone is not such reliable things. But to conclude, all I can say is that to the abstractions is no longer than off the map to double the mirror or the concept right so i think the simulations or artificial things is no longer than of territory a referential being of substance it is the generations by models of a real without origin or reality which is called a hyper realistic so most of us as z millennials should be aware about this because i think when it comes to hyper realistic the core after all is only about objectifying how an object can be portrayed when it's in through a camera lens or the framing which does not clarify a representing your real life itself dan jadi kalau gue pribadi pengen my paintings are about an object being viewed through human eyes because we all the human have two eyes And God has present us with the 13 gifts of common sense, beautifully. And before I end this cast, I have three questions to you. In this hyper-realistic era, do you want to be driven by a media, or do one who drive your own will? And in the rapid mass of television programs, do you want to be the one who control your TV remote, and decide which one is entertaining or educating? So beautiful people, thank you very much for sticking with me on the last 30 minutes. You can follow me through Instagram at satriabahar underscore. Have a great day and see you on the next podcast.